So it's my uh, pleasure this morning to introduce Lucy Rogers as our speaker. Uh, Lucy and I go back a long way, uh, and uh, the, uh, the journeys of our lives have kind of intertwined at times. Uh, but Lucy is uh, these days a wife, mother, grandmother, uh, theological student, uh, and uh, has many strings to her bow, I think. So, uh, and anyway, it's a delight, really, to uh, be able to invite Lucy to uh, speak to us this morning and to teach from this uh, interesting text uh, out of Luke. So I'm going to pray for her, and uh, then Lucy, uh, you'll take us on. Father God, we thank you for Lucy. Thank you for the many gifts that you've given her. And Lord, as she stands here to uh, proclaim your word to us, I pray that you would fill her with your spirit and give her a freedom of uh, speech and uh, delivery uh, to, uh, to be able to encourage and uh, exhort us this morning. Uh, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, thank you very much, Andy. And uh, it's great to be here with you this morning. So this morning, we're continuing our series um, on Jesus, our neighbor. And uh, over the last few weeks, we've been looking at Jesus' interactions with his neighbors. So we looked at his sermon in his, first, in his hometown of Nazareth and the response that his neighbors gave him there. We looked at his compassion on foreign neighbors. We saw him out for a meal in the neighborhood. We saw him healing the sick and raising dead neighbors. We saw when Jesus realized, uh, when Peter realized that uh, Jesus was no ordinary neighbor, but that he was the Messiah. And so this week we come to, to look at meeting the neighbors. And in today's text, we'll look at how Jesus sent out a large group of people beyond the security of their own neighborhood to go out into new neighborhoods and find new neighbors. And we'll ask, why does he do this? And what was the result? So just over 20 years ago, Neil and I and our two children arrived in Central Asia. We didn't know the language. We didn't know the culture. We didn't have any smartphones with Google Translate on them. We were complete strangers in our neighborhood with no way of explaining our presence. And on one of the first days that we were there, in the afternoon, two women came to our house, came into our yard, and uh, they talked to us very animatedly, and, uh, and we had no idea what they were talking about. And uh, so eventually they realized they just weren't getting through, so they took us by the hand, and they walked us across the road and into their house. And they took us into a couple of rooms where there were a lot of people sitting around tables of food. It was Ramadan, and our neighbors had taken us into their home to meet a whole group of neighbors and to join them in breaking the fast. It was very courageous of them, very generous. They were probably pretty curious as well. But uh, we really learned a very important lesson that day. We didn't need to go out and find these neighbors. They had invited us in to join them. And so let's start looking at our text in Luke 10. And there are three phrases I want us to be thinking about as we go through this passage. The harvest is plentiful, the kingdom of God has come near, and full of joy. So 
So let's start thinking about the harvest of plentiful. This is in the first nine verses. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. In the previous chapter, Luke tells us that Jesus sent out 12 disciples to heal the sick and preach the kingdom of God. Now he's sending out 72. So who is this group of people? Well, as we read the text, we realize that Jesus had gathered quite a following. There were people he'd healed, people who were attracted to his teaching, and there's even a group of women, <coughs> of women who provided practical support to Jesus and the disciples. And so it's from this sort of crowd of people, excuse me, from this crowd of people following Jesus that he chooses 72 and sends them out in pairs. And he's sending them out as his representatives to all the places he's about to go to. And with that kind of number, he, he can obviously cover quite a big area. So what are they sent to do? And what, well, why are they sent out? So he says, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Jesus says the harvest is plentiful. There's people there ready to hear about the kingdom of God. But they need someone to tell them. They need someone to gather them in now before the end of the age. This harvest image, it's an image of life, of fruitfulness. Um, but the harvest does need to be gathered in, not left to rot in the fields. And so we know that Jesus sent the 12. Now he's sending the 72. But here he's saying even this isn't enough, that more workers are needed. I think Jesus knew that his time on earth was limited. He was limited to a, a human body. But the kingdom isn't limited, and that's why he wants more workers to go out. God's chosen to use the people of the kingdom to communicate to the world that there is a kingdom for them to be welcomed into. And Jesus says to them, ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers. The force of what Jesus says is actually lost in translation here. The, uh, the word that's used in this particular phrase is ask the Lord of the harvest to throw out workers into the harvest. There's a sort of sense of urgency. This must happen. He doesn't want the harvest to be neglected. So what were they to do? If we look ahead to verse 9, he tells them, Heal the sick, tell the people of that place the kingdom of God has come near you. They're to heal and to tell. So they're to show the kingdom, the power of the kingdom in action, and they're to speak about the kingdom. Now when I come to this point in the text, I always think to myself, what did they really know? What could they say? And so I, I look back at the earlier chapters in Luke, and uh, so maybe some of them were at Nazareth, and maybe they could start to see that Isaiah's prophecy was being fulfilled in Jesus. There was good news for the poor, there was freedom for prisoners and the oppressed, there was sight for the blind. They knew that Jesus taught with authority, that he challenged what was lifeless and loveless in the way that the, that the local um, and the Jewish teachers preached. He forgave the paralyzed man's sins. 
Maybe some have been attracted to that, that they realized there was something different here, something beautiful, a great treasure, um, something that valuable that they wanted for themselves. Maybe they've been challenged by his teaching to love their enemies, or to look to their own faults before judging other people, or to follow Jesus' teaching and put it into practice in, in order to be able to withstand the storms of life. And of course, they'd seen the power of the kingdom at work. They'd seen Jesus cast out demons. They'd seen him heal the sick, raise the dead, feed 5,000 people. They'd seen him calm a storm. And so they'd seen the, the power of the kingdom, and they'd heard the words of the kingdom, all in the person of Jesus. But actually, even with all that, we know that even, even the 12 didn't really understand. And although Peter had come to, to recognize that Jesus was the Messiah, Actually, their understanding was limited. And when Jesus talked about his death and his resurrection, they really didn't know what he was talking about. So, so what could the 72 say? I think they could say that the kingdom was about Jesus, that the kingdom was about salvation, that there was some way that all the wrongs were being put right and there was rescue from all that was wrong. They could talk about a new way of living and a new way of relating to God and to each other. They could, they could speak about this and then they could do what Jesus had told them to do, which was to heal the sick and cast out demons. So even with this limited understanding, Jesus sent them out with high hopes of a plentiful harvest. And how were they to do it? Jesus says, go, I'm sending you out like lambs among wolves. Do not take a purse or bag or sandals do not greet anyone on the road. So we've got a new image here. Plentiful harvest, that's quite a nice image. But now he talks about them being lambs among wolves. This is a dangerous mission. It's not a holiday. <clears throat> this is serious. He's warning them that there could be trouble. And uh, it seems that he doesn't actually make it any easier for them. He says they're not to take all the supports they, we naturally look for not to take money or spare clothing, no insurance schemes, no sunscreen or fly repellent. He's telling them to be focused and uh, not distracted by all the social niceties. There's a sort of urgency about the way in which they're to go. When you enter a house, first say peace to this house. If someone who promotes peace is there, your peace will rest on them. If not, it will return to you. Stay there, eating and drinking whatever they give you, for the worker deserves his wages. Do not move around from house to house. When you enter a town and are welcomed, eat what is offered to you. Heal the sick who are there and tell them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. The 72 are to rely on Israel's ancient tradition of hospitality for the stranger. I don't know whether you can remember the story of Abraham and, uh, from Genesis 18 and how three visitors come by where Abraham was with his household. And uh, so Abraham rushes out and offers them hospitality. And, uh, well, you know, Sarah does the hospitality bit along with a servant. <laughs> but Abraham offers it. Those strangers had brought good news to Abraham and Sarah, the news that they would have a son. And I think the 72 are being sent out to be like Abraham's strangers, 
They're to go out with their message of peace. They're to be dependent on the hospitality of others. And they're to speak the good news of the long-awaited one come at last to Israel. But they're to be dependent on hospitality. And I think that makes them vulnerable. They don't take any gifts. They don't take any money. They have to rely on hospitality for the very people that they've come to tell about the kingdom. They're to find the ones that will open the door to them, knowing that some will shut the door in their faces. And I think this reminds us of Jesus himself, how he left the glory of heaven and became a man and took on all the frailty of humanity and eventually was rejected and died for us. So the 72, they don't, they're not the hosts. They don't invite people into their homes. They don't put on events for people to come to. They, uh, they don't have any, anything material to offer. No, the, the way Jesus wants them to work is to go into the homes of people, into the homes where hospitality will be given to them to bring the good news of healing and restoration. And I think as they go into their homes and they can sit with those people sharing their pain and hardship, they will see the sorrow, the difficulties that people are dealing with. <clears throat> but their own vulnerability, their own weaknesses and inadequacy will also be exposed to the people that they're staying with. So the harvest may be plentiful, but is this way of harvesting comfortable? It's very close up neighboring. I think reality TV makes a lot of money out of putting a group of strangers in a house together and looking to see what happens when all pretense is stripped away. I remember when we were in Central Asia, there were times when I was overwhelmingly taken by homesickness, at times when it wasn't really very convenient, or times when I struggled to express something important in a language that I hadn't really mastered. Um, other times when I felt under suspicion. Um, and lots of times when I felt angry and anxious and really uncertain what was going on around me. And that made me feel very inadequate. And I think it's that kind of scenario that Jesus is talking about here. And it, that's the danger for the 72, that they will feel inadequate. But that's also the opportunity. Because they are then speaking out of their own sense of frailty. And out of that sense of frailty, they can point to the hope that they've found in Jesus. They could pray for the brokenness that they see in the homes that receive them. And they could pray for the plentiful harvest, because the harvest is plentiful. As we come to this next section, in verses 10 to 16, we see there are some words of warning. The kingdom of God has come near, but it can be refused. I think these verses make uncomfortable reading, but without them, we don't really understand the sense of urgency in Jesus' instructions. Why does he send out the 72? Why does he want more workers thrown out to do the work? I think it's because he knows the danger. He knows that refusing the kingdom of God and choosing to stay in the kingdom of this world is a choice for death and judgment. Jesus' warnings of future judgment, I think, show us his compassion. He loves people. He wants them in the kingdom with him. He wants them to choose life. 
And so he warns the 72 of what they might face. When you enter a town and not welcomed, go into its streets and say, even the dust of your town we wipe from our feet as a warning to you. Yet be sure of this, the kingdom of God has come near. Not everyone will accept them. Some would reject their message. And uh, Jesus doesn't tell them why they might be rejected, but he does tell them how to respond. They're to respond as Jesus did when he faced opposition. The little bit of uh, the passage that we, well, the text just before the passage that we read tells us a story of when Jesus was not welcomed by the Samaritans. And he's with James and John, and James and John are outraged that Jesus shouldn't be welcomed. And they want to call down fire from heaven. But Jesus rebukes James and John and leaves the village. His mission, Jesus' mission was to bring the good news of the kingdom. Now wasn't the time for judgment. Now's the time for good news. The kingdom of God has come near, and it's a time to make a choice, but he doesn't impose it by force. Jesus says, I tell you, it would be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. But it will be more bearable for Tyre and Sidon at the judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be lifted up to the heavens? No, you will go down to Hades. Whoever listens to you listens to me. Whoever rejects you rejects me. But whoever rejects me rejects him who sent me. Chorazin, Bethsaida, Capernaum, they're all Galilean towns. They're all towns who would have seen Jesus' miracles, heard his teaching. And yet there were those in those towns that refused to follow him. He refused to take the life that he offered. They came to him for miracles but they weren't ready to repent. And so Jesus warns them by reminding them of Tyre and Sidon and Sodom. Why these particular towns? I think because the Jews of Jesus' day would have held these towns as towns in history had rejected God's messengers. Sodom in particular, that was, that was where Abraham's messengers were on their way. So when they left Abraham and Sarah, having given them the good news of a, of a son for them, they went down to Sodom because God was going to destroy Sodom for its wickedness. And the visitors were to go to Lot's house to rescue Lot from Sodom. The people of Sodom refused hospitality to those visitors. Their refusal of hospitality was, was terrible. They attempted to rape them. And why the cities of Tyre and Sidon? I think it's because they were known for their pride. They didn't need God. So Jesus is very clear in his warning that those who reject his messengers, refusing them hospitality, they're ignoring him, they're rejecting him, and rejecting the Father who sent him. They're no better than these cities from Israel's history that Israel considered as such terrible examples of wickedness and idolatry. And this warning helps us see that Jesus is not talking about an earthly kingdom. He's talking about a heavenly kingdom. He's talking about the kingdom of God. This is not a social justice movement. It's not a, 
a new political system. It's not health care for all. It's the everlasting kingdom in which Jesus is the king and there's no sin and death. Yes, as children of the kingdom, we work for social justice. But Jesus has this bigger vision, this vision of a kingdom with him as king and us with him. The harvest is plentiful and the kingdom of God has come near. But there is a decision to make. Are we going to accept his offer of life to be in the kingdom with him or are we going to reject it? And so we turn to our final section, full of joy. The 72 returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. He replied, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I've given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. However, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. The 72 come back with great joy. They are full of joy. Everything they've seen and experienced has thrilled them. You can feel them bubbling over with excitement. How their faith must have grown. And if they had any rejection or difficulties, well, that seems to be forgotten now. And uh, Jesus picks up on this um, excitement, you know, the little phrase, even the demons submit to us in your name. And he picks up on that and he talks about the defeat of evil. He talks about how Satan is vanquished. It's not clear whether he's looking back to the, the fall at the beginning or whether he's looking to Satan's final judgment. Whichever it is, he's declaring that Satan is defeated and that the disciples will continue to triumph over him. But although Although Jesus picks up on that theme, he also points them to a greater joy. He says that their, their rejoicing should be in the fact that their names are written in heaven. He wants them to be full of joy that they're recorded as belonging to the kingdom. And I think the reason for this is that Jesus knew that miracles and exorcism didn't necessarily lead to repentance. People could enjoy the blessings of the kingdom, but still refuse to follow the king. He's rejoicing, Jesus is rejoicing because the 72 are already part of the harvest that's been gathered in, and that Jesus longed to see extended to even more people. At that time, Jesus, full of joy through the Holy Spirit, said, I praise you, Father. Lord of heaven and earth, because you've hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this is what you were pleased to do. All things are being committed to me by my Father. No one knows who the Son is except the Father, and no one knows who the Father is except the Son and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Then he turned to his disciples and said privately, Blessed are the eyes that see what you see, for I tell you that many prophets and kings wanted to see what you see, but did not see it, and to hear what you hear, but did not hear it. So what is Jesus' joy about? And that's what I want to concentrate on in these last few verses. There's lots of theology here, we're not going to go into that, but we're going to think about Jesus' joy. I think his joy is that the 72 have learned something that 
Really, no book learning could ever teach them. And they've learned something that throughout Israel's history, the prophets and the kings sort of had this feeling about, but could never actually see. They've learned, and because they have learned something so special, Jesus is full of joy. And the passage tells us that he's full of joy through the Holy Spirit in what the Father has done in the hearts of the 72. And there's this beautiful picture of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit full of joy together. They're sort of rejoicing together in their joyfulness. And what is it they're rejoicing in? I think they're rejoicing that the 72 have come to know God. That God has been revealed to them in the Son and that they have, they have suddenly seen something in their own lives, worked out through their own ministry, which is of incalculable value. And I think Jesus also is full of joy because he knows that through these 72 and their faithful witness, many more are going to be gathered in in that harvest. In these words, I, I hear echoes of Psalm 126. He who goes out weeping... Bearing the seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, bringing his sheaves with him. So there is a plentiful harvest. The kingdom of God has come near. And there is a decision to make. And Jesus and his disciples are full of joy. So what are we to make of this account of Jesus sending out the 72 into new neighborhoods. I think it's helpful to see it in the context of the, of the whole book of Luke. Luke has this sort of feeling of being sent out. So we see in, in Luke's account that Jesus doesn't want to stay as a local miracle worker. He's always pressing on to go to the next place to proclaim the kingdom of God and oppose the kingdom of Satan. And Luke tells us that Jesus sends out the twelve and then he sends out the 72. And then when we get to the end of Luke and after Jesus' death and resurrection, we see Jesus sending, sending them out again. And this time, not just locally within Israel, but to the ends of the earth. So I think we can see the 72 as partly a warm-up act for Jesus. It was that they were going everywhere Jesus was going to go. They were preparing the way. But I think it's also a practice run for reaching the whole world. So that when Jesus sent them out um, after his resurrection, they had this to look back on and say, this was how we did it. And, this, and Jesus was faithful. And what amazing things we saw. So it's a practice run to take the good news of the kingdom and the king who came and lived in our neighborhood and suffered and died on our behalf. In a way... The whole text of the Bible is is encapsulated just in this passage. If we read the whole text of the Bible, we see a God who longs for his kingdom to be established. We see his longing for that plentiful harvest. We see that there are many people waiting to hear the good news. And as we read through the Old Testament, we see God sending his prophets, and we see what happens to his prophets And then God himself, the king, comes in Jesus. And then we see Jesus sending out the 12 and sending out the 72. And we hear Jesus speaking about how he's going to send the Holy Spirit, the sending and sending and sending. 
And the Holy Spirit, as we read through the Acts of the Apostles, sends the early church out further and further afield, taking the good news of the kingdom. And then as we look back through history, we see that the church has continued to send people out near, far, with the good news of the kingdom and the king that loves us. And if we stop to think about it, that's how we came to hear the good news. That's how we came to hear, have our names written in heaven because someone was sent out to tell us the good news. And he's still sending us out into our neighborhoods, sending us out motivated by compassion for those who don't know the king, taking the good news of the kingdom, but sending us out vulnerably to come alongside those who are hurting, to come alongside in our own brokenness and frailty. One broken person telling another about the hope that Jesus brings. Jesus doesn't want his kingdom to come near and for people to turn away. He wants his kingdom full. So what's our response? Do you see the harvest? Do you see that it's plentiful here around us and across the world? Are we doing as Jesus asked? Are we praying for more workers to go out into that harvest? Perhaps the kingdom has come near to you today. Do you need to respond to the king who's come to your neighborhood? Have we found the joy that comes from belonging to the king? I think this is one of the most beautiful passages in the, in the New Testament for joy, seeing Jesus' joy here. And have we found that joy? So this morning, let's go out with joy. Let's follow King Jesus. Let's take the good news of the kingdom to our neighbors. The task may be difficult and we may be rejected, but we do know that Jesus wants his kingdom full because this is what fills him with joy. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are the sending God. Thank you for sending us Jesus. Send us out to our neighborhoods with the good news of the kingdom for the sake of the King, our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. I invite you to stand and we're going to respond in worship. We're going to continue to think about um, these things. Uh, we're going to ask the Spirit to fill us, to empower us as, as we are sent from here. Um, there will be opportunity if you want prayer. There will be um, some members from our prayer team up at the front. Uh, you are welcome to